This podcast is brought to you by Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. This will be the second half of what I started to talk about last week. So uh, you may have to, if you want to, to get the um, CD for last week. Now, in Revelation 21, verse 2 says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So there is a, a preparation that you see here right away in this verse. Now hold your place, put a marker there, and go to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Now the book begins in verse 2 with this desire that you see with the betrothed, the bride-to-be, and she says, let him, meaning the beloved, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So right away you see in her a desire for him. And you can follow that down actually through the book, but down in verse 4 it says, draw me. Now you will see things in the book as you read it that I will describe as building material. For example, in verse 6, she has personal failures. Verse 15, behold, thou art fair. There is in her heart beholding. She's beholding him. Let me see. Verse 6 of chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. You see a receptivity. And then if you follow down in chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 2, uh, verse 10, you see obedience. So all these different things uh, in her life are building material. Uh, if you would go and construct a home, you will find out that you need, first of all, concrete, sand, gravel, to lay a foundation, and then eventually you need block, and then you need the boards to start, the you know, to lay on the footer and the walls, and you need insulation, you need plywood, and so on. The, the further you get in the construction, the more different things you have to draw upon to make this particular house, this dwelling place. And so it is in your life and in my life, your receptivity to the Lord, your desire for the Lord, your problems and difficulties, your suffering, your reproach, all these different things, many different things enter into the picture. Your dedication to the Lord, your love for Him, all those things enter into the picture and they become building material for the Lord to construct all that. So when you see here the bride-to-be in the Song of Solomon, and you see the different things that she has to go through and deal with, and how the Lord uses these things to create a, a greater desire, and, and how he uses those things to build in her life, you're seeing here God constructing something. He's building something. And so, in your life and in my life, every saint that's ever lived, every Christian's ever lived, God has certain materials that he uses in their life to try to build in them, to try to do a work in them. 
And so whenever we come back to Revelation, John here is going to see something in verse, verse 9. We looked at verse 2. You have the preparation. Uh, there has always been a preparation from the very beginning on down through uh, the centuries uh, with individuals that you see, saints who have lived, there was a preparation in their life. And it's still the same today. There's a preparation in the life of those who will respond to God. And so it says here that he saw this prepared, this new Jerusalem prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Now, how is John going to accurately portray what he is going to see here? He is going to see something that has never been seen by, by anyone, really. I mean... He's seeing this thing before him, the consummation of it. How is he going to accurately describe what he's seeing using language? It's practically impossible. When Paul was caught up into the third heaven, he could not accurately portray with words what he saw. You know, you can see something of the glory of God and you will not be able to accurately tell somebody what it is. You may experience it, you will see it, but you, you will be at a loss to actually describe what you saw. As I'm feel, feeling today, I'm at a loss here. <laughs> so just bear with me. How, how can he do that? Well, he can't. He is going to speak forth or write the words... And then from that point on, it's up to the Spirit of God to somehow take that which John is seeing and and open that up for some to see. And I say some because not all have a desire for God, not all have a willingness in their life. Some do not have the proper building material uh, in their heart and life to bring them to the place where they're able to see certain things. Remember, John was, was caught up in the Spirit, taken by the angel in the Spirit. So we're not going to see this in the physical. We're going to have to see this in spirit. It's the only way. And so he carries him away, and he's going to show him the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. So he's going to show him now the bride. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. So he's describing now what he's seeing. He's not seeing an actual physical building, per se, as you would look look out in a city and see a building. He's not seeing uh, the literal Jerusalem that is over the Middle East. See, he's going to take words and he's going to say things here and it's going to be figurative. He's going to take, just like Jesus did many times, just like Paul did, and, he's go- and, and Peter, he's going to take something 
in the natural that we can see and relate to, and he's going to take something in the spiritual and try to, to bring some understanding to that spiritual thing through the physical thought of it, the understanding of it. So having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious. He's not talking about a physical stone here. He's talking about the light, the glory that is contained in the bride, New Jerusalem. Even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So, so now Paul, excuse me, Paul, John is going to start to relate this, what he's seeing, and put this into words. Now, if you relate only to the natural, you will never catch a glimpse of this. You have to see beyond the figurative speech here. Many people, or I should say most Christians, will take the rest of this chapter and will relate it to physical building, physical city that is being brought down from heaven. Now, somebody had asked me, do you believe that there will be a physical city? I don't know. It's possible. I don't know, but that's not really what he's talking about here. So we'll start with verse 12, and I want to comment as we go down here just to try to help you to see a little bit what John is seeing. And, and of course, I'm looking at some of this, and I'm saying, what is this? <laughs> but I'll give you what I have. In verse 12, remember, remember, please keep this in your mind. He's describing the bride, the lamb's wife. You have to see that or you won't understand. Verse 12, and he, and he had a great, and had a great wall and high. So, so right away here he says that there, there were walls that he sees, okay? Now walls were used in the Old Testament as a defense to keep certain things out that were undesirable. Now, there's two thoughts I see here. The first is, it's a, the thought is that not that an invading army would be able to come or would come and try to penetrate the walls. That's not it at all. But rather, the attention is put on, on this, that nothing corruptible will be able to penetrate these walls. And you see this in verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only they will have the, the, the entrance there, those that have their name. Other than that, no. Nothing else is going to go there or enter there that is going to be corruptible. And then the second thought is that a wall can be an enclosure to, to keep something in. And, and I believe that that something is the glory of God. Keeping the glory of God contained. Verse 11, having the glory of God. Her, having the glory of God. So the walls can, can be a twofold thing there. So he goes on in verse 12, and he says that there were 12 gates, or you could say 12 entrances. A gate is an entrance. And then he says that there were 12 angels. Now, this word here uh, is used many times in the New Testament, meaning a literal angel. But there are 
several places that, that I know of, and I didn't check them all, I just checked a few, where the word is used of a man or a person and not an angel. For example, referring to John the Baptist, it says that I will send my messenger before to prepare the way. It's the same word that's translated angel. See, so it's not referring to an angel, it's re referring to John the Baptist. And um, in Revelation 1, I believe it is, where it talks about uh, the angel of the churches, it's talking about, or the messenger, the word means messenger to the churches, it's talking about the pastor. So the word, the Greek word is not always used to mean angel. It, it can be used to mean a person. And I believe that that's the case here. It possibly could mean uh, the apostles that Jesus Christ committed the way to them. See, because in verse 21, it calls those gates pearls. In other words, pearls were something of value. So I don't believe he's talking about necessarily an angel, but those who were committed the words of life, who took them, and who have been enriched like pearls because of of the, the word and, and that which they have received. The, the 12 uh, messengers there, the 12, I believe, apostles. Verse 13, on the east three gates and on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, hold your place there and turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. As I was looking at this, I was amazed at how many times in the New Testament the Lord, through Paul, through Peter, through others, takes a physical thing like a building, uh, a stone, and what have you, and relates that not to the physical thing, but to something else. We read the scripture and we know that. We don't even think about it. We don't even relate it to a physical thing. But the actual word means something physical, if you understand what I'm saying. He's, he's drawing a, a, an analogy there. But in chapter 2, verse 19, Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles. Now, when we think of being built upon the foundation of the apostles, we're not thinking of a physical foundation, are we? No, we don't relate it that way. It's not a physical, tangible foundation that you could see like under this building. And you're built up upon the foundation of the apostles and, and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We don't think of him as some literal stone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. See, we're not relating that to the, a physical thing in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. But whenever we come back into Revelation and we start reading about this city, right away we relate that to a physical city. But that's not the case throughout the whole New Testament when you, when you start to look at these books, um, these certain words and how they're used and how they relate. They're not talking about a physical thing at all. First Peter says this, and we'll get to that in a second. Let me, let me read verses 15, 16, and 17. 
And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. And the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. Um, let me read this from another translation. When he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. So what I want you to see there is that the measurement is a square or a cube. Now, who can tell me what other thing in the Bible is a cube? When I was reading this, that came to my mind right away. The holy place. Now, there's two things I want to show you here. First of all, among the Greeks, when they would think of a square or a cube, to them, that referred to perfection, completeness. So that when he writes this, he's talking, I believe, about something that is complete, whole, perfect, nothing there that is uh, out, of, out of place, if you will, uh, nothing irregular. Now, listen to what Peter says. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. He uses the word perfect. And I was amazed again at how many times that word or that thought is used in the New Testament dealing with the church, with individuals, where God works with them and on them and in them, to, to bring a perfection, you see. It's the same basic thought here. Complete, whole, perfect. Now, the second thing, as I said, the holy place was cubical in shape. Uh, let me read just from Kings. You don't have to turn it. This is talking about um, Solomon's temple. And the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide and 20 high, he overlaid the inside of it with pure gold. Now, if we could see the inside of the holy place, if we were standing there and looking at it, we would see the tapestry and we would see the gold. Very, very beautiful. Everything in order according to the heavenly pattern. And so he's seeing here, as I said, it's very difficult for John to accurately portray what he is seeing descending. But, but he sees these different things. And, and the beauty is not necessarily seen from the exterior, but from the inside, if you understand. It's because it's the work of the Lord. It's the work of God. Verse 19. Well, let's read 18 too. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear, clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished. Now, let me stop there for a second. This word garnished 
is the same word in verse 2 as adorned. See, there's a, there's a preparation that, that had been taking place, and now John is seeing the consummation of, of the preparation, the complete, complete of that. With all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second uh, sapphire, the third uh, chalcedony, and the fourth an emerald, and he goes on down here. Now, it's interesting that, that these stones were nearly the same as the stones on the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. They're, they're, and they may have been the same, I don't know. You, you can't really tell by the words that, that, that they put in there because they, I, I don't know, you know, I, I can't compare them anyway, but I, I know that, there, that there's enough there that, that there is a comparison uh, to the breastplate uh, of the, the priest in Exodus 28. And the one thing that is seen there with the stones on, on the breastplate is that we, I believe, the people of God, are always upon his heart. And, and because of that, he wants his best for us, and he wants to work in and through every believer's life to work in them in such a way that they become a prepared one, a prepared one. And so this correlation, is, as I see it, is, is quite something. Now, of course, the stones here in Revelation aren't to be understood uh, in the physical sense. But the idea here is that there is beauty and ornamentation that, that is seen there. That, that's the, that's the, the thing I believe that he's seeing. It's, it's a beautiful thing he's seeing. Now remember, I'll say this for the last time, that John is not describing uh, the abode of the saints, but the abode of God, which is the bride. Now, just for a second, he, he goes on in verse 20 and talks about all these different stones. Now, if I, I was going to call some people, but I didn't think I'd be able to get, get what I wanted. <laughs> If I were to ask somebody, well, bring in a nice big diamond, a real one. There's probably nobody here that has a nice big one. Well, maybe there is. I don't know. Or an actual pearl, a nice big pearl. Now, if you compare both of those gems, a diamond would, would have many different surfaces. It would have little points, you know, sharp spots. A diamond will take the light and refract it, it will, will move it in different areas, and you know, there's, a, there's a sparkling from it, and, and so on. But a pearl is much different. A pearl has, has a deep color, it's lustrous, uh, it's, it's nice and smooth and even. Uh, a, a real pearl has actually a multicolor to it. You'll see, you know, a, a, greens and maybe some blues and different colors there uh, when you're looking at the pearl. Now, now which is better? It's, it's not a, a matter of which is better. See, they're both different. They're both gems. They're both stones. But it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that they, they're, they're different. They're similar in that they're stones, 
but they are different because they have different characteristics. Understand that? Very easy. When you go and you read about these stones here uh, in verse 19 and verse 20, each, each stone has a different characteristic that makes it different from the other stones. Now, let me read a couple scriptures. Romans 12, 4, don't turn. For as we have many members in the body, and all the members have not the same office. See, there, there's a distinctness in membership, members, but yet there's similarity because they're still members. Ephesians 4, 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing. Now, listen to this verse. 1 Peter 2.5. Ye are lively stones. Is he, is he meaning that you are a living piece of stone? No, we never interpret it that way. There's several places in the Bible where it talks about stones and it's meaning individuals. And in this case, it's talking about those that will, will uh, be brought together in you know, incorporated in, you know, the bride. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. That's what uh, Peter says. You are living stones. So what he's describing here again is talking, I believe, about those who were prepared, those who were brought together, those who were brought who were brought into this place that were prepared and they will be a part of this, the bride or the, the new Jerusalem that we're seeing here. I don't believe it has anything to do with a physical city. Now, if somebody else believes it is, that's fine. I have no problem with that. If somebody sees something different here, that's, that's okay. I'm giving you what I believe uh, I see here. And it's interesting after I was looking, looking at this, I said, well, I'm just going to go to a couple commentaries and see what I see here, see what, you know, what the view is. And it was interesting. Some of them took a literal view of a literal city. And uh, one in particular was talking about it being the bride of Christ, which I thought was really good. So, you know, somebody else there uh, saw that, you know, years and years ago. Verse... Let's go down to 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Now, I said before that I believe that's referring to the apostles because back in this time, if someone would have a pearl, they were considered very wealthy. The apostles, because they responded to Jesus, were brought into a great place of tremendous wealth they responded to the pearl of great price, and that was reflected in their life, and they became very valuable. And now here, it's referring to the 12 gates were 12 pearls. There was a value there. Pearls were valuable. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold. Now, the street here is uh, platea, P-L-A-T-E-I-A in the Greek, 
and we get the English word plaza from that word, and it actually means wide place, wide area. It's the same word that we see in Matthew where it says, enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the, the way. It's a wide, broad way that leads to destruction. Same word. He's saying, I see not this street of gold, but I see this wide area there that is of pure gold. Pure or clean. Now, gold in the Bible, you can go and look at the Old Testament, New Testament. Gold refers to purification, and gold refers to testing, and so on. Uh, the gold here in the city has been purified. How is gold purified? You know the process. It's heated. The dross comes to the top. It's scooped away. It's heated. More dross comes up. It's scooped away. And that is a type of the work of the Lord in a person's life where he will, so to speak, turn up the heat of circumstances or whatever it may be in order to bring up and to the surface something that is impure, something that uh, is a contaminant. See, there are Christians who walk around contaminated. And God doesn't want the contamination, so he lights a fire under them trying to burn up some stuff, getting stuff up to the top there so it can be seen and taken out of the way. Listen to what Job says. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, he's not talking about that Job's going to be a literal block of gold. He's talking about spiritual thing here. He's going to come forth as pure gold. God turned up the heat in Job's life. Has God ever turned up the heat in your life? It's for a reason, see. He wants things to come up so he can get them out of the way. We're in the day of preparation so we can qualify in this place, I believe. 1 Peter 1.7 says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Much more precious. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold. People, when you get to Wall Street, gold is you know, quite a commodity, worth a lot. He says, your trying of your faith is more precious and worth more than that. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing or revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he goes on here in verse 21, And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Now, who has ever seen Gold. Has anybody ever seen gold? I mean, not a teeny little piece, a little piece a little bigger. Yeah. Can you see through it? No. He's saying gold as transparent glass. So this is something totally different than what we think. Back in first verse one, I told you last week that there's going to be a total change of every single thing we know. And I saw the new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Everything's going to change. Everything's going to be different. So now you see here, John says, I see 
this pure gold as transparent glass. So this gold has certain quality to it, a quality of transparency. It can be seen through. Now, there's a verse that comes to my mind right away. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with open face beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. We all with open. The word open there means um, unveiled. See, the Lord is at work to unveil the hearts of his people. Why? Well, it's the same basic principle as getting rid of the dross from the, from the metal. He shows you something in your life. You see it there. You know it's not right. And then he works along with you to correct it to get it out. See, we all with unveiled face, unveiled hearts. And I believe that the bride of Christ will have that particular quality worked in her that you can see right through her. Nothing there to hide, nothing to obstruct, no sin, gone. It's all gone. We, as believers, need to have our heart open to the Lord and allow Him to do what He will. See, because that is a quality that is necessary that I see in the bride. Totally open, unveiled, not hiding anything, no prenuptial agreements, none of that stuff. No, just everything's open. You know, what you see is what I am. Okay, verse 22. And I saw no temple there. Well, <laughs> see, whenever the Jews related to Jerusalem, they related to a city. And whenever they think of Jerusalem, they think of the temple. Everything that goes on over there now, not everything, but there's a great move over there to have the plans together, have things made for the rebuilding of the temple, and move toward one day reinstituting the actual animal sacrifices in the temple. And that's very, very much in the minds of, of Israel. Very much. And it's interesting that John says, I see no temple there. Very interesting. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. No physical structure. The Lord and the Lamb are the temple. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. Now, it doesn't say here, that there will not be sun and there will not be a moon. It just says that there is no need for them to shine. You all just go back for a minute to our, our high school days. If you study photosynthesis, it's very simple. Green plants take the sunlight, they absorb it, they convert it into energy or chemical, whatever you want to say. All Life on earth today is based upon uh, the, the, the sun or the, the sunlight to sustain it, all life. So that if there was no sunlight, you would have no photosynthesis, you would have no plants, the animals couldn't eat plants, you couldn't eat the animals, you can't eat the plants because they'd be dead. So all life revolves around 
the, the photosynthesis and the sun, actually the sunlight. At this time, at this place, let me read it again. And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So the glory of God will be that which sustains spiritual and physical life. See, we don't know anything about that. Anything about that. Well, we know something. We know that the glory of God sustains us you know, in our spirit. But as far as everything that we know and see, it's all going to change. All life will not need to have the, the physical sun, S-U-N, as a basis for its life. Then the glory of God will sustain everything. All life. All life. The glory of God. Let me read in closing from Isaiah 60, verse 19 through 20. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day, nor the moon to give its light by night. For the Lord your God will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set. Your moon will never go down. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end. So even Isaiah saw that to some degree that that which we know and see today, the sun and the moon, will be, will be done away with. It will be gone. And so back in Revelation 21, from verses 12 through verse 23, I believe we're seeing here what John saw descending from heaven, the new Jerusalem, or, or the bride, the lamb's wife, and all these different things that we see it relates sometimes to the physical, the walls, the gates, and the, 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 the different stones and what have you. That's representative of the character of Jesus Christ that's seen in the bride, seen in her in some way. There's a distinctness, like with the gems, but yet uh, there is something that is, you know, the same. They're stones. So there'll be distinctness with, with the, the individuals, but yet being all a part of the bride. And you're seeing the uniting of the individuals that compose the bride of Christ. Now, I'll, I'm going to stop there, and I hope that this has given you a little different view of this chapter. And those of you who didn't uh, have, have the first part, hear the first part last week, you can probably get the CD. Uh, there's more here than, so to speak, meets the eye. And as I said earlier, it was very difficult for us to understand what John was seeing. That's why people usually relate this to a physical thing, because it's easier just to relate it to a, a physical city than to really understand and realize it's talking about the bride, because if we understand it's talking about the bride then a responsibility comes upon the individual, now the, the Christian. Now they're responsible to have a heart, as I talked about the building material in the beginning, they have the responsibility to have their heart open in order to allow the Lord to prepare them. See, there's, there's, a, there's a twofold thing almost always in the scripture, and that is God's part 
in our part. Not everything is God, God, God. You wait around for God, for this, God, for that. And a lot of times, he's waiting around for you. Oh, I'll wait till I hear from God for this or that. And he's waiting around for you. So, so there's, there's two things. Our part in having uh, the, the openness, um, the, um, the surrender, uh, the dedication, the willingness, that's our part. His part is taking those raw materials now and building something with it. And he's good at building. And ye are lively stones, ye are living stones built up into the temple or the habitation of God through the Spirit. And I believe God was after this from the very beginning when he created Adam and Eve. Never has given up on this, that his people would become his habitation. Now, we know that the Spirit of God dwells within us, but I believe, just like, let me relate this in, in the natural, you have different relationships. You have friends, you have relatives, okay, and they're all different relationships as far as uh, the depth of them is concerned. But when you come into marriage, now that's something different. I mean, it's a relationship just like, you know, you have a cousin or a parent or whatever. But the marriage relationship is something now that is moving in a fuller, uh, a more complete, a deeper way. See, the, the relationship as far as you experiencing on an earthly plane that should be the deepest and the most fulfilling would be the husband and wife relationship, right? And so, so there is a depth there that is not in the other relationships. And the same holds true uh, with the Lord. There are those who don't even desire, they have no desire for the things of God, they have very little desire at all for Him. People that are born again. And they live their life and do what they want all the time. They go where they want. They, 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 everything is about them, or most things. They go to church maybe on Sunday, but mainly everything is about them. And so you have a level of desire or relationship there. And then you have others who are moving further along, who have you know, more of a desire, but yet they, they always fight with the Lord, and the Lord can't take those raw materials and build much. And then you have others who... You know, they're, they're surrendered. They're, for the most part, open to God. And now he's taken those raw materials there, their surrender, their willingness, all that. And he's building. And so whenever you come here into Revelation 21, you're seeing something that is moving in a deeper place. And I personally believe, from my study of the word, that not all Christians will be a part of the bride of Christ. Remember, Jesus will not marry a carnal bride. He's not. He's not marrying flesh. So if a Christian's always in the flesh, they can be saved. They can go to heaven. But as far as moving into this intimate relationship, I really have my doubts. And so, as I said, when, when they look, John looks up and he sees the bride, he's seeing something that is deeper and fuller and you know, something that is quite different than as most people relate here to a physical building or a physical city, something that's moving deeper. And as I said, if we were able to see this, hopefully 
that will help us, not because we have this revelation of all this stuff, that, that, that's not it at all. The reason I, I teach is not for that reason. The reason I study is not for that reason. Is it, is it so that you can open up an area, hopefully take the cover off of certain things that people can see, and now if they see that, hopefully they'll want to cooperate with God, they'll want to walk with God, they'll want to move on with God, and allow Him to have His will and His way in their life, and to bring them further on into the relationship, and not be carnal, and not you know be always over here concerned about themselves and, and you know, the flesh and all that, but now they're moving in a totally different place. And they may not be perfect, but yet they have this heart and desire and dedication to him that enables the Lord now to take that particular material in their life and create a building of God and ultimately bringing them into this relationship as the bride. Okay, we'll stop there. Allow the Lord to have his will and his way in your life.